Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is David Emmett and with me today is Stephen English and we are here in Misano where we've just had the eighth round of the World Superbike Championship. It's been my first time at a World Superbike round. In fact, it's been my first World Superbike race ever not at Assen. So it was. it made a nice change and where what a better place to come than... Italy really than than Misano lovely seaside dinner down by the uh, down by the harbour yesterday can't really uh, can't really fault it we had uh, some decent racing Steve decent racing but a decent dinner last night as well David yeah, we did have a man to candlelight dinner there was a man trying to sell us roses I was a little <laughs> bit perturbed that somebody thought not only one thing about my sexuality but also that David Emmett was my type <laughs> and uh, great racing as well though but not a bad place to come for your first non-dutch round as well like yeah. obviously for the assen race you're used to cold wet and windy and then you come here this weekend and it's been it's been perfect you know it's exactly what we get here for the grand prix as well i think you got to see a different side of things i know the fr- the first time i've been to rounds where it's been a superbike round at a grand prix track it's very different to what you turn up and expect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that struck me as soon as I walked through the uh, through the gates in the paddock was the fact that the paddock wasn't absolutely heaving full of people because with the, the, the Grand Prix weekend, um, obviously this is Valentino Rossi's home race and I think just about half of Tavulia gets the paddock pass. Um, uh, about 46% Tavulia. <laughs> yeah. That's probably that. That's probably true. So yeah, there was there was a there was a healthy crowd inside the paddock. There was a, actually a fairly healthy crowd out here. Yeah, there was sixty five thousand here over the course of the weekend. So always one of the busiest rounds. I know Eugene Laverty was here, and uh, Eugene always said that the Italian rounds were the ones that you got big crowds in, yeah. big atmosphere, and you know you saw that again here this weekend. Like a lot of people turned up, especially on Sunday. Sunday was very busy, and uh, really got a good show as well and i think that's one thing that you've probably seen this week i've probably just gotten a bit used to it now the paddock show and different elements yeah. of the weekend definitely does play to having fans more involved yeah i remember the paddock show from the from the years that i've always been i mean it was always it was always an ass and they had the paddock show as well but that has been built into something much bigger much more entertaining also for example uh, i spoke to uh, scott uh, scott smart quite a lot this weekend and he was saying now they have when the bikes have to be scrutineered for the technical checks after every race they're put out in an open enclosure so the the bikes you know that everyone rides in they get off they get take their helmets off there's all the fans standing around they get to see a lot yeah and that was one thing that surprised me the first time i went to a superbike round would have been Aston actually dave <laughs> in uh, 2013 and uh, i was only there for a couple of days so it was more horrendous than 2014 that i got a proper introduction to world superbikes and i remember that the first that was the first time i saw the square of bikes in park Ferme, and it's something cool because it does mean that fans get close to the bikes they're able to see everything they can get see what the tire life was like they're able to see what the bikes look like they're able to see the riders as they get off and they can see the reaction as they talk to their mechanics or their crew chiefs yeah they, they, you can get up and you can smell the sweat you know which is something you really miss i think a lot in uh, uh in be careful how you word, word this david about missing the smell of sweat <laughs> and getting close up to smell the sweat except well it, it, they'll put me on another list um the I mean, what you really see—it's a very human championship. It really is a you—you you really feel the human element of this championship because because you can get so close to uh, to riders. You don't see them sort of you know coming out late afterwards after they've been had a towel, wash themselves up, clean themselves up. It is straight 
off the bike, helmet off, uh, drenched in sweat, still everything, the, the excitement still in their eyes. Um, it really is it, 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 excellent. It's really much more uh, tactile, much more real. Yeah, and I think uh, when you mention the human element, you see that an awful lot here, and it's, it's probably something Pippa said to you as well in the show that she was involved in, and it was where the human element of this paddock, whether it's the wives with their kids and yeah. different things, it's much more apparent. We saw it here. This weekend was Father's Day as well, which makes it a little bit different. But we saw Jonathan Ray take his eldest son up onto the podium yeah. on Saturday. We saw, you, know, you see J.O. riding around the, the paddock on his paddock bike with either one of his sons yeah. riding between the bars as well. And, you know, you, you just see that element where everyone's just a normal guy yes. more than you see in the GP paddock yeah 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 exactly everyone everyone is a lot more uh, uh, certainly a lot more approachable um, uh, again one of the differences for me uh, coming this was the first time that I've been to a race with the new schedule before you know for me Aston was a one day event, one day affair because I would ride up on Sunday morning on the, on the bike watch two races and then or watch all three races and then come back home again this was you know a full weekend got to see the whole thing yeah, and what do you what do you think of the new schedule? Because I think Saturday is now a mega day. You get Superpole for Superpole and Superbike, and Superpole and Supersport. You had twenty seven bikes out on yeah. track in Superpole one. Yeah, it didn't. I mean, I was actually walking the track while uh, Supersport Superpole one was on, and it didn't look like Super Superpole. It looked like uh, just a normal session of uh, session of free practice, except that it only lasted for fifteen minutes. So really, it's yeah, it, it's very strange. I actually I actually really liked it. It's a much more relaxed schedule. Um, well for, for everyone because you do have more time at the end of the day riders also have more time um, they have more time to talk to you as a journalist I think they also have more time for uh, uh, for the for, for fans they're, they're, they're much more I mean you know this is a much more relaxed paddock anyway but they have more time to do all, the, all those sort of things so it, it, it felt like a really um, it felt like a really comfortable schedule and we had reasonable crowds on Saturday as well. You still get a fair number of people who come for who come for race one. Yeah, and the crowds have gone up at every race by roughly twenty percent as well. So like it has helped, and definitely broadcasters as well. They've got something a bit more interesting to show on Saturday with the super super pole and then the race. I think like the only thing that you that you get some sort of feedback about is maybe the super sport riders feel that they don't get enough track time on a Saturday. But yeah. that that's that's the only thing and first year with a new schedule you're always going to have a few issues but i think by and large it's actually been really good and it's good just to hear your feedback on it as well and see what you think of it obviously we're at the eighth round of this championship now so all of us were quite set into this is the way that the, the schedule is and it's quite good and you know we we know what to expect whereas it's good just to hear your your thoughts on it given that you've come here just as an off weekend. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, one of the first things I did on Friday was to talk to the riders about how they felt about it. And both uh, Chas Davies and, and Jonathan Ray were very interesting about it, basically saying that it, it, it can be tricky. I mean, it, they're fine with the schedule as it is, but it, it's a little bit tricky having two one-hour sessions on the Friday because you have to get things exactly right. If you miss out on your setup, it's it's difficult to catch back up again. And having a, a one-hour uh, session it makes it difficult to make with a one hour session with a one bike rule it makes it really difficult to make really big setup changes because you can't sit around for 15 minutes while they change uh, a, a shock and uh, a, a shock and, and, and forks or something 
because you, you just lose your time. You don't get a time to you don't get a chance to sit back and actually study the data and think about what you want to do. That's your first recollection of what you did on Friday. I seem to recall we went straight for coffee, but that's a different story entirely. And <laughs> um, there is actually it isn't the one bike rule here. It's a it's a rolling rule. So when you change from one chassis to the other, you're locked into that chassis for the rest of the weekend. So if you have a crash in FP1 early doors you could elect to change straight on to the other chassis. Yeah, exactly. But you can't actually, I mean... The, but it's not, you can come in, jump onto the other and go out and Yeah, exactly. It. You can't You can't test setups back to back. And that's, I think that's a big difference. I think if there was one uh, one thing they would change, it would be to reintroduce a second bike again to allow people to to, to test things, uh, test stuff back to back. Or one of the things which uh, which I think Chas Davis uh, suggested was uh, splitting it up into, instead of having two one-hour sessions, have three 40-minute sessions but then that gets a little bit tricky with scheduling um but that would certainly be better because it, it would allow riders to or the teams to, to change things a little bit more yeah and I, I think like in terms of when they'd made that change for the chassis that was they viewed it as a cost-cutting measure whereas in fact if everything's already here it doesn't save cost at all but yeah. um i think it is something that i'd like to see because i think that it's important that if someone does have a problem or anything like that that they can still get out on track you look at what happened to Chaz davis and donnington his whole weekend was ruined because he had a fire on his bike i think an oil leak on the uh fp2 session in donnington 10 minutes into the session he lost those 50 minutes and he went into super pole with only another 15 minutes on the bike and then straight into race one as well so he basically lost out any chance of having a strong result in race one at donnington just because he lost 50 minutes track time like that so it's you know there's drawbacks in it and it's definitely something that i think should be analyzed and should be evaluated but by and large it, it works quite well and i think that uh, talking to people like nicky hayden about coming here and having the hour and then the hour and then you're into saturday with the race i think it's, it's important for him that he's got you know, a solid time to be able to go out, learn a new track or learn what the bike is like at a track like Mizano. He's been here for years, but the bike's going to react differently. So he can use FP1 to try and understand that, make a step for FP2. And then on on the uh, Saturday, just get yourself geared up for the race. And a lot of times this year, when you talk to Nicky, it's a case of, you know what, we'll, we'll figure out an awful lot on the basis of the 21 laps that we did today. And that'll help us for the race tomorrow. And I think that's where... We've seen Hayden's performances get an awful lot better just because obviously they get closer to having that base setting. He knows the bike a bit better, but I think maybe towards the you know the last three or four rounds, that's where Nicky's really going to start to shine just because he'll have time over the over the summer just to test the bike or to understand what he needs to do, and that'll definitely help him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and. Uh Hayden has actually adapted really quite well. It you know at the start of the season he was getting regularly beaten by his teammate, which is exactly what you would expect. But he's really he really turned it around, especially from obviously the win at Sepang. Um, but he is uh, almost to an extent he's made things really difficult for Michael van der Mark because um, he keeps on beating him. Yeah, and that was one thing I was going to ask you, Dave. Obviously, like I'm not in the GP paddock all that much anymore. Like I'll. I was in Coda, I'll go to a few rounds over the, the summer as well. But just talking to people within the paddock, talking to team bosses, talking to people that will be making the decisions on riders. One thing that keeps coming up is Michael Vandermark isn't beating Nicky Hayden anymore. Yeah. And, you know, Nicky's a, a MotoGP world champion, a known commodity in the paddock. Do you think is it a, an unfair slight to say to Michael Vandermark that, uh, you know what, this former world champion, this MotoGP race winner, this guy that everyone expects to come into this championship and be a title contender, you should be beating them? Well, nothing in racing is fair. So, uh, no, it's not fair. But whether it's fair or not is irrelevant. The thing is, 
That's the way that he's being measured. Michael van der Mark is being measured against Nicky Hayden because precisely because Nicky Hayden is a known quantity. Uh, everyone has seen what Nicky Hayden can do. They know what he can do. They've known, they've seen him racing against other teammates. Um, so they've got uh, an idea of what he's, what he, what he's capable of. And so when Michael van der Mark struggles to beat him, they know, okay, if we bring him into GPs, what he's going to become is something around whereabouts where around where we might expect Nicky uh, Nicky Hayden to, to to perform well let's look at a devil's advocate then in that case Nicky teammates to Davia Ducati he's been teammates to a lot of good yeah, riders yeah Davi's after getting a, a factory contract on the Ducati another two-year extension surely Vandermark deserves the opportunity to move across well he definitely deserves the opportunity but the thing is I think I and I also wonder if this paddock isn't a little bit the same. It is it, it, a lot of it is it, it's an incestuous idea. So you're looking inside the paddock. I mean, one of the reasons why a lot of young riders go to uh, Red Bull rookies is also just to be in the paddock, just to get their names in front of people. It's why people go race in Spanish Championship because they want to be uh, because they know that the Grand Prix Moto Three teams have junior Moto Three teams in the CEV where. If you can get your face in front of them, if you can actually sort of compete against and beat the riders that these junior teams have hired, then they were, the, you know, they're going to sit up and, and, and take notice. And it's it's just that they don't, yeah, they don't look across at other paddocks as much as they could. Yeah, and I think definitely you see it time and time again. You look at uh, the guys that have gone across into MotoGP over the course of the last ten years. Let's say Ben Spees went across, Crutchlow went across. And, uh, you know, Crutchlow got his chance probably because Ben went over and did a really good job. Yeah. Crutchlow replaced him at uh, Yamaha. He won a couple of races, a lot of poles. So he then replaced uh, Spees at uh, Tech Trois. You look at it the last few years where you've had people like uh, Eugene Laverty's moved across, Lars Baz, and they haven't set the world alight. Whether it's down to machinery, whether it's down to teams, yeah. whether it's down to whatever, doesn't matter in the eyes of most team bosses. If they came in and uh, made a big impression than the likes of van der mark or whoever would have gotten the chance now you've talked to Hervé quite a bit about whether or not you take that chance and we see it with guys coming up from moto 2 and even actually just looking at moto 2 franco morbidelli sam lowes both came from here and uh, it's taken them a long time for people to actually respect them yes you look at uh, franco i remember last year when we were talking to danilo petrucci is a super stock thousand rider uh i forget whether he actually won a championship or not i'm sure he'll kick me next time he sees me but um and i I completely deserve it but yeah i mean he was he was a he was a very fine super stock thousand rider um who accidentally ended up or or almost accidentally ended up in the um uh, in the MotoGP paddock because nobody wanted to ride a, a race a crt bike and he did he sees that he had the opportunity and now he's really capitalized on, on it just through sheer hard work yeah and that's the thing i think there is loads of talent in this paddock and i, I think guys like franco's come in he's alex marquez's teammate marquez has been crap for 18 months he's been crashing he and to be honest he's been crashing and he hasn't been crashing when he's in good positions he's been crashing from 16th position he's been crashing from low paying points positions he hasn't done what anyone expected a Moto3 world champion to do. And Franco's come in and he's been quicker than him. He's been more consistent. And he's the guy that if you're a team, you're thinking, you know what, he, maybe he's worth a chance. And I know last year when we were talking, David, to Bartholomew at VDS, and he was saying, you know what, I've got this idea in my head. And when I uh, when I tell you who it is, you'll think I'm really smart. 
the two of us came out and said it's Frank and Morbidelli yeah, the desired. Exactly. Yeah, yes, exactly. I think that was the first name we gave to him and he sort of looked at us annoyed. And yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. But yeah, I mean, this is, but again, I think this is the, the difficulty is people in the GP paddock don't respect the um, World Superbike paddock as much as they do. I think uh, as much as they should. I think they find it difficult to measure uh, talent, for example, because the thing is, when you look at a Moto2 race or a Moto3 race, if you look at a Moto2 race going to MotoGP, usually that Moto2 racer has spent time in Moto3. He's ridden against some of the guys who are already in the class. So you have uh, a yardstick. You have some, some kind of a benchmark of where roughly where uh, whereabouts they're going to be. Um, it gives you, at least you have an idea. Yeah, and I think the one thing is, if you come from MotoGP to superbikes, invariably you end up on a factory bike, you end up on a good bike. If you come from superbikes to GP, invariably you end up on a midfield or back of the grid bike. And that's what also affects us. Yeah, I think, so for example, going back to uh, Loris Baz and Eugene Laverty, they both went across and, I mean, Loris Baz got, I think, got the, certain in the first year, got the better end of the deal because that forward Yamaha wasn't too bad. Um, the Aspar Honda, the the open Honda, was just absolutely terrible. Uh, people, everyone will tell you now that bike was just awful. Um, it just didn't work with the spec electronics, and Honda never put any work uh, work into getting it to work with the uh, with with the spec electronics. So Eugene had a really tough uh, first year. Then you see now that we've got the uh, now that we've got the unified software, a single class again. Um, it's all working a little bit better. And you're also seeing that, you know, Eugene, is, is Eugene still, I'm not sure if Eugene is still top Ducati, but he's very close to being uh, uh, yeah. top Ducati. Um, uh, he's had a fourth place. Loris Baz has also had some, uh, put in some really good times, really been impressive. So the talent is clearly there. Yeah, Laverty, I think, is a couple of points behind Davi in the championship. He's in 11th. So still really strong stuff from uh, Laverty so far this year but uh, so we'll take a quick break now David and when we come back we'll just look upon one of the other riders that had a chance at MotoGP and is now showing his true talents Hey guys, Jensen here just a quick message to make sure you're following the show on Facebook that's facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast alright, now back to the show Okay, and welcome back. And as I, as I said, Dave, just before we left, a bit of a teaser there. Johnny Ray, two races, of course, in MotoGP, and a man that has gotten an awful lot of GP interest in the past, but uh, has elected to stay in World Superbikes and go for a package that gives him the chance to win races, win titles, rather than just make up the numbers in Grand Prix. And this weekend, we saw just how, how special the rider JR is again. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he, he was saying that it'd been a long time since he'd won a race. I think three, four races? Oh, two, oh, two rounds. No, two months. Two months. Yeah, two, long, two months is a long time for a world champion to go without a race win. But uh, I think on Saturday, race one, he led Tom Sykes, slowed down a little bit, but Tom just couldn't get past him. And uh, Johnny just managed to lead all the way to the end. Uh, today, he followed uh, Tom Sykes around bided his time and with a few laps to go 
just uh, decided he'd had enough, went past it and, and completely dropped Tom Sykes. So he just, he really, really looked like a man in control this weekend. Yeah, and he's definitely, he's taking the championship now, barring an absolute miracle. I think like Jay York could afford to have three retirements and he's still going to comfortably win the championship. Yeah, and yeah. it just shows you the, 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 just the difference it makes whenever you know you've got that confidence, you know you've got that consistency. Yeah. And I think we've seen time and time again from Ray, even though it's been two months since he won a race, he's been on the podium every race this year. He's picked up something like 43 points around on average. Yeah, it is. It's an incredible It's an incredible record. Well, what was interesting also, it's not just that um, he's been consistent and he's won every time. Also, he's had luck run his way. I was talking to Lee on Cameo earlier today and he was basically saying like when things are running your way everything runs your way. If you look for example at Chaz Davis this weekend Chaz Davis I mean if you looked at the pace that he had on uh, during race one on Saturday he was he was basically the fastest man on, on track it's just that he got caught up because he qualified poorly because he'd chosen the wrong front tyre um, he ended up starting from ninth got caught up in a in an incident in the, in the first uh, corner uh, finished the first lap in 20th position um, just ended up being a long long way uh, behind the, the, the rest and force his way through and then race two what happens is he um, just loses the front again you know having to push through from what was it a fifth or sixth place or something uh, and, and just everything was running against him yeah pretty much an identical crash for Davis that we saw from Giuliano in the first race just as you get off the brakes and get ready to tap on the gas just loses the front as it gets unloaded and uh, just cost uh, cost Davis dearly and he said that uh, the same thing happened quite a few times during race one but he was able to recover from it and just in this one just no chance for it so unfortunately for for Davis but uh, still just another one of those rounds where JR makes that big step towards the title and I think uh, really race one is when he when we'll look back and say that's when the title was decided yeah because Sykes didn't make the move on Ray and he, I talked to Tom today and he said um, you know he didn't he felt if there was a real opportunity to get through he would have done it he, but he wasn't going to force that opportunity whereas whenever I was talking to Johnny after race two he said that uh, see if it had been Chaz behind me I would have been I would have been attacked and uh Ray was riding defensively in expectation that uh, Sykes was going to make a move and nothing came and he said for sure even riding the way that he was in uh, in in race one if that was against Davis he wouldn't have been able to guarantee that there'd be no move the guarantee is probably too strong or but he, he would have known that Davis would have pushed something down the yeah, inside yeah yeah, I mean, definitely Davis would have been uh, much more motivated to try and beat him. I think it it's, it complicates things a little, the fact that they are teammates. And so when teammates take each other out, then uh, teams tend to be less than happy. But uh, even then, it's clear these two are racing for the championship. And we're at that stage in the season, as uh, you said to me, sort of, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, we're at that stage of the season where uh, things start to count. You have to start taking a little bit more risk trying a little bit more daring moves because if you don't then that's it the really uh, you know you're not going to win a championship by ending second behind behind Johnny Ray yeah and it's the same as what we saw in super sports as well we knew that uh, if Randy Krumenacker was able to beat uh, Keenan Safogli for the championship he needed to beat him here yeah and instead he didn't and he's now got three months to think about a huge championship lead that uh, Safoglu has over him and it's that momentum it's that 
mental approach that really makes the difference between it. And you know that looking in in the Kawasaki box, JR is 10 foot tall and Sykes, Sykes is struggling because even though he's come here having won three of the last four races, he's actually, he's the man that has to consistently prove himself. And uh, his run of Super Bowl laps counts for nothing when JR has got a run of wins. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny Ray is basically king of the hill. He stands on, stands atop the mountain and says, come and get me. Um, and it's a lot more difficult to fight uphill than it is to defend sitting on the mountaintop. Um, and that, I think, is... That basically sums it up. But, I mean, Johnny Ray is just... He has that aura of the champion uh, around him. And it's indefinable. I've seen it a few times. I remember... Um, yeah it happens people just they they walk a little bit taller they hold they they hold themselves like a champion and it, it, it you exude a certain mental strength and that becomes very difficult to challenge yeah and i think the only rider that can challenge it is chaz yeah I think this year chaz has been up until this weekend chaz has been the best rider in, in the championship for my money by a distance I think the Ducati's a really good bike. It's probably the best bike on the grid in a lot of ways, but only when it's working perfectly. Yeah. And I think that Davis has been able to get a lot of wins, a lot of podiums, and uh, the only difference is that uh, on the days that the Kawasaki doesn't work, it's still good enough to finish second or third for Ray. When the Ducati doesn't work, unfortunately for Davis, you can see instances like what we saw in race two where he just lost the front. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think also because a lot of people were talking about uh, about people struggling struggling with the front. Uh, Nicky Hayden after a race because obviously um, uh, he had um, uh, he crashed out in race one, and then in race two he was saying he just wasn't being forceful enough in the early laps because uh, he just felt the front was going all the time. He was having to save the front. Um, so it, it was just not. It, it was just really, really. It was just really, really challenging. Basically, ev- everyone um, said the same sort of thing. It's the, the front was was a little bit tricky around here. I th- can definitely agree with you that the, 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 the Chaz has been absolutely fantastic throughout the season. Not entirely sure that the that the Ducati is the best bike on the grid. I think um, as a package, the Kawasaki always works and also i was out there watching watching chas davies ride and chas is riding with such incredible commitment you really when you um i was watching around the the really fast um, uh, right on the back straight and he looks absolutely fantastic through there see it's interesting you say that because talking to michael laverty that's where chas is struggling because he is having to ride well maybe not having to ride but he rides it very differently to the rest of the riders and the reason that he sounds great is the other guys feather off the gas and try and ease their way through the three corners whereas with Chaz he feels that with Ducati you need to probably shut off and then use the the gas to come round the corner as well so just the interesting difference in styles and that's the the one area where Chaz has actually been struggling this weekend was through those corners yeah where he probably needed ultra commitment whereas maybe just winding it back a little bit may have been actually the faster one but i think like the reason that i think the ducati is the best package is donington park is a track tailor-made for tom sykes for whatever reason he's just always been mega there and davide giuliano gave him a great run for his money in race one there and i think that when the two bikes are exactly as the riders need them to be and want them to be the ducati's faster I think that the Kawasaki has just got that bigger operating window. And it's interesting to look at the differences between the two bikes. So I'm sure you saw it this weekend, David, where the Ducati needs to be leaned over all the way. The Kawasaki, you're able to have a bit more upright, have 
bit more of the tyre available to you and it means you can get on the gas a little bit easier as well. It gives you a bit more confidence for the rider. It's just how they make their lap times is really different. It's almost like in, in MotoGP where you've got the Yamaha and the Honda and the Ducati all completely different ways of making pretty much the exact same lap time. Yeah, exactly. It was interesting standing at turn 10, the, the, which is the, the, the very, very long uh, right-hander. It's not quite a hairpin because it's sort of too round. Uh, but you could really see that uh, the, the Ducati Chaz was carrying a lot more speed round there, making it much rounder, whereas the Kawasaki's were cutting across uh, to an early apex, standing the bike up and getting on the gas really, really early and, and really... But they were you could really see them take off out of that corner down uh, down the back straight it was um it's very interesting to watch but i mean i think the biggest thing for me in world superbikes is not so much the difference between the kawasaki and the ducati but between the kawasaki team uh, the ducati team and the other teams because it's clear that there are two proper factory teams with proper factory support and the other teams are not at that same they're just not operating at that same level they don't have the same amount of testing they don't have the same amount of support um uh, and that's really where it was because one i mean you know one rider mentioned to us that um he thought the best uh, the best bike on the grid was the aprilia that 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 package was was the best available it's just it just needed a faster rider and a better team to prepare it yeah and that's something that has been said quite a bit this year like i know talking to a lot of the riders they say the aprilia is an unbelievable package and definitely in Phillip Island, the track where the Aprilia is always going well. And I think if they still had Haslam or if they had, you know, a top rider with the, a good team around it, they would have won there. They would have won races at other at other circuits as well. I think when you look at the, uh, when you look at the IOTA team, it does a good job. They've got GP experience, but they were also a team that wasn't at the front in GP. And here in Superbikes, you still need a, a crack unit to be able to actually win races here. And uh, when we come back after the break, we'll talk a little bit about maybe the, as you said, David, you've got Crescent running the Yamaha operation. You've got Tenkate running the Honda operation. So we'll just talk about those teams and Altea and Milwaukee who are using the BMWs. And as you said, not quite the full factory effort, but that factory supported effort. Hey guys, Jensen here. Just one more time. Want to give a quick shout out to our followers on Twitter. We just cracked the uh, 1,000 follower mark and are pretty stoked about that. So thank you for following the show on Twitter and back to the show now. Right. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about the difference in the level of teams. Um, obviously, we've got the two factory teams. The the, the other teams, I mean, it, it, it's a fair mixture. If you look at IOTA, they've come in from uh, GPs. They have a lot of Aprilia experience in the past, uh, being run by Giampaio Piero Saki, but you don't get that level of uh, that same level of uh, support from the factory. The the, the Aprilia is a very uh, it's a fantastic bike, but it needs it, it has its little secrets, and you need the people from inside the factory, the support from inside the factory to unlock it. I think we're seeing the same with the BMW. Um, with I mean you know uh, Reiterberger, Torres, even Carol Abram, Josh Brooks. It's the fastest bike. It's probably the fastest bike on the grid, but actually getting the electronics right is is 
really difficult and you really need a lot of uh, electronic background, a lot of uh, backup and support from the factory to get that right. Yeah, and when you look at the, the stock championships all around the world, the BMW is an awesome bike there. It's a, it's a bike that's got so much power. It's a bike that is, uh, is quick in every national championship, but it is in Superbike spec a bike that is quite tricky and you see that in BSB with Michael Laverty's riding that bike now this year and it's taken MLAV pretty much the entirety of last year to get that bike where he needed it to be and it just takes time to understand what you need from it. BMW here in World Superbikes with Altea especially, maybe with Jan Vitamine, it just gives him that little bit of, of an extra help but Marcus Reiterberger having a couple of years on the bike winning with it in, in the IDM Championship has helped him an awful lot to hit the ground running. Jordi Torres, his riding style works well with the bike, but Milwaukee have struggled a bit. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people expected more from Milwaukee. Probably it was an unrealistic expectation. I think people thought that they'd come in, they'll be top five, they'll be podiums, they could win a race. And it's just taken them a bit longer to really adapt to being in the world championship where we have races in one country after another week, at, week on, week off, week on, week off. And it just takes time to really adjust your mentality towards that. And I think that's what the big issue has been for Milwaukee. And over the course of the rest of the season and next year, they'll obviously come good again. But I think when you look at uh, the Honda and the Yamaha teams, what, what was your opinion on, on them, David, just from looking from the outside? Well, I mean, if, if you look at the Tenkata, they, I mean, it, it's a fantastic run operation. It's just that they get very limited support from Honda. And so they've, they've got a bike... They tune the bike themselves. They prepare the bike themselves. It's it's entirely their operation, and it's it's almost um, it's not quite a privateer effort, but it's very close to a privateer effort. Yamaha again, you know, Crescent have always been a Suzuki team. They're coming in. They're working with Yamaha, so they've changed factories. They're having to work with new engineers. You do see uh, Japanese Yamaha engineers walking around. Um, uh, actually in the garage so there is uh, some hands-on involvement there but actually just coordinating that and the engineers understanding each other being able to uh, uh, it's a bit like a rider with a crew chief you have to be able to establish a common language you both understand to actually get the maximum performance out of a motorbike and, uh, and that takes establishing that rapport that takes time yeah and i think it's interesting when you talk to some riders outside of this paddock as well possibly looking to get onto a bike here next year and the one thing that an awful lot of them says i really want to be on that r1 because they've seen how quick it is in bsb they've seen it at suzuka they've seen the potential of that bike and the r1's always been a good bike in superbike spec and i think now a lot of people are saying you know what they've had their year now i want to get onto that bike and this weekend i think really showed that again because you've got alex lowe's here recovering from a, a fractured collarbone still not 100 percent fit able to finish top five in race two challenge for a podium in the first race as well and i think that uh, if you had seen lowe's not have his crash at sepang he would have had uh, the potential for podiums in donnington he would have had the potential for podiums here as well and that shows the strength of that bike yeah exactly i mean uh, alex lowe's was telling us that the the the, the pro well the, the problem they still have is a little bit of, uh, of of you know court drive off the corner that's just down to development that really is just down to you know it, it just needs a little the bike needs needs bringing it bringing on yeah and what's interesting as well is this is a, a circuit where that acceleration hurt a couple of teams and mv obviously here in, in superbikes you're limited to your gear ratios you have to keep it the same through the season and leon camier said all along that uh, mizana was going to be a tough circuit for them just because the gearing doesn't suit here but overall for this season like camier has been immense really impressive he's been fast every week he's, he's got the the bike working really well and to a degree 
strong enough that MV are considering having a second bike next year and that's something that uh, could either help or hurt Cami or maybe having a, an extra set of data will be quite useful to be able to get the bike working on a race weekend but the resources needed to have that second bike could end up being quite uh, quite harmful to their long-term chances but you've talked quite a bit to Leon this weekend Dave what, what was your thoughts because it's the first time you've seen him since probably uh, when he was racing for Aspar and MotoGP? A, a, yeah, exactly, when he replaced Nicky and um, uh, Nicky Hayden uh, at Aspar. I think the biggest problem for MV at the moment is just the financial insecurity of the of the, of the factory. We don't know how, where their money is coming from. They don't know what their financial situation uh, is. I think AMG have either divested or are looking, are looking to sell uh, it. So there's just... You know, they're, they're, it's just a lack of resources. They need to spend time on the uh, the, the, the the chassis. Fine, the, uh, the the handling is superb, which Blian said today. It, it's amazing. The, the bike was actually the, the the basis of this bike was laid in 1991, and it is still a good bike. It's still a solid bike. It's just that it really needs the engine work to um, uh, to start producing the power to make it competitive, and that is just a question of resources it's just it's just people spending money yeah and i think that's the one thing that for next year i think we've got a really competitive prospect on our hands for next year but just because you've got the honda will be quicker possibly with a new bike you've got yamaha with a year of having learned that bike you've got mv making their steps forward bmw will, will come forward as well then you've got the ducatis the hondas or sorry the ducatis the kawasaki's potentially a suzuki back on the grid as well and it just shows how competitive superbikes can become again and that's uh that's the one thing that i think has surprised me through this year is just how much depth there is potentially in this championship again yeah exactly it feels i suppose a little bit like motor gp where we're in, in gps we're in a year of transition new electronics new uh, new tires um here this feels like a, a year of transition where we've got lots of new bikes we've got new teams coming in um it just takes time to get up to speed to go back to the milwaukee team if you think about the challenges they face not only do they they're entering a world championship from bsb so they're not from simple things not sleeping in your own bed on a uh, uh, on a sunday night uh, so they now have to fly abroad fly a long way away and then come back again it's a lot more tiring i know that just from flying to uh, flying to races uh, they've got a different a different bike um, with different regulations, um, you know they've swapped to the they've swapped to the BMW from the Yamaha. They had a lot of experience with the Yamaha. They're now having to work with the BMW. They will be using different electronics because they're no use no longer using the spec Motec electronics. There's just so many different things that they actually have to get used to. That it's not really surprising that they are where they are. But you know that next year there will be a big step forward. Yeah, big step forward next week, next year, and uh, just for me, David, I think. Um the key thing is just to, to wait and see exactly how much potential that team has because I think everyone knows them from BSB and everyone can see just how much uh, input there is, how much resources there is. So hopefully over the course of the rest of this season and over the winter, they'll make a big step forward. But uh, definitely it's been a, a good weekend. What was your takeaway from this weekend? Uh, well, the takeaway for me was just how good Johnny Ray is. Um, really, he's, he's just a fantastic rider. Um, really enjoyed watching Chaz. Uh, I've just enjoyed the event it really is i really think the world superbikes i mean like like grand prix it really where it motor really is a little bit of the, the sort of the formula one but it's got a lot of the downsides of the formula one as well it's not a it's, it doesn't welcoming it's not a welcoming championship in the same way where uh, world superbikes really feels like a family affair like a home you feel as a fan you're welcomed in to uh, the entire environment 
Yeah, because what what I've gotten from just the eight rounds this year is the World Superbike paddock makes the fan feel how we feel in a MotoGP paddock exactly. where you're able to go into most garages, you're able to talk to everyone, you're able to find out what's happening and that's what fans can do here and that and that's that's been the one thing for me that's been the biggest thing because obviously when you spend, you know, five, six years in the MotoGP paddock, you know everyone and you build up your relationships and uh, it becomes a home from home for everyone and then you come here and I think fans are instantly made to feel that kind of welcome. Yeah that we get every time that we walk into the GP paddock. Yeah, and also, the other thing is you don't have the secrecy like you have in the GP paddock. So uh, I was, for example, I was walking around the back of the garage. I mean, you know, I'm lucky enough I get to walk in along pit lane in uh, MotoGP and World Superbikes. MotoGP, as soon as they have to take the fairings off, there's a little screen goes up because they they don't want you uh, looking at it. Um, World Superbikes, I was walking along pit lane and there's, there's a Ducati and a, and a Honda split. And uh, I I was walking around the back of the trucks and there is a I think it was a Yamaha chassis just laying out with all of the parts if you like the technical part of it this is a championship you can come to and really fill your boots you really get really sort of it's almost you could almost get your hands on it although you get your wrist smacked if you touched it yeah the MotoGP paddock is afraid of the gold standard taking his pictures <laughs> and being able to show everyone what's under the hood but uh, here you're able to actually really see everything that's available on the bikes yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is your tech porn championship. But um, it's it's really it's really great. So anyway, I really enjoyed my World Superbike round. I promised myself I'd only come to one, but um, now that I've come to one, I think I might have to come to another. I've just got to pick out a uh, a similarly glamorous location for one. Qatar is really good for the end of the season, Dave. <laughs> It's really good for a lot of things, but not visiting for motorbike racing. So anyway, thanks a lot to you, Steve, for joining me. Um, uh, thanks a lot for showing me around the paddock and helping me out. I've, it's been fantastic. It's been really helpful. Um, uh, thanks a lot to all of the riders for you know actually stopping and talking to me. That's also been really helpful. It's been great. Uh, so uh, thank you. And first of all, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Paddock Pass Pods, Facebook, the, the 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 paddock pass podcast and there is going to be a new website soon where you will be be able to find everything in one place so thanks for listening and until next time is that it i eh eh i thought at one stage we're going to sing about uh, he stands tall he stands proud <laughs> No, 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 I wasn't going to mention... It's not Arson. No, exactly. No, 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 exactly. Right, I shall stop this. Bye, Jensen. Bye. Bye. He's waving, JB. He's waving something anyway. <laughs>